Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week on TheRinger.com, our staff is ranking the 100 best moments in culture so far in 2019. This includes everything that happened in film, TV, celebrity news, memedom, and more. Cracking the top 100 so far are J-Lo and A-Rod's engagement, the rise of Lizzo, and the Cliff Wife phenomenon. Also, be sure to listen and subscribe to Ringer Dish, our new celebrity podcast, and catch the latest episode covering their favorite moments from this year in pop culture. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, wondering if the Orioles still suck in the upside down, it's Valerie Rubin! That's needlessly cruel. Well, I listened to your MLB show turn mm, uh, with yeah. Bobby Wagner and Sean Fennessy. Not all together. Sean had to be put back in his Mets. Too much misery isolation for one conversation. Booth. But it was, really, it was a really fun chat. And I was just wondering, like in the upside down and Stranger Things... Do you guys still have Machado? This is really, like, this is hostile. And one of the things about Stranger Things is it's about friendship and connection. Yeah. Mallory is so nice to join me today. We're going to talk Thanks a lot about me, Stranger Things. I don't know. Do you want to talk about Euphoria or anything else? I'm just here to, to be with you. Okay. And to explore television and life in the universe with you. Okay. In, in whatever fashion you see fit. I watched Euphoria last night at the Me end too. of all that free agency nonsense. And uh, it was very, it was pretty enjoyable. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I just really like Zendaya's voiceover. Zendaya, oh, just like narrate my life. I'm yeah. down for it. Rue. Yeah. Um, we could talk about Euphoria later. Stranger Things comes out, uh, I mean, on Wednesday late mm-hmm. July 4th on Netflix. Season 3. A show that is uh, sort of interwoven into the history of The Ringer in a lot of ways. It was like the the one show, I think, that we have gotten. That was the first show that The Ringer kind of like latched onto as its own site, you know, that was new when The Ringer started, not not like a Game of Thrones holdover kind of thing. And then since then, we've obviously, you know, all thrown our passions into succession and, and many other things. I, I personally have started a Too Old to Die Young subsite. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that is not safe for work. But Craig, did you have over or under ninety seconds on the Before first? I mentioned to the first mention. Of- <laughs> I just hit the under. So I actually it was it was funny. I was out to dinner with Mal a couple of days ago, and um, I was like t- I was sort of lightly talking about it. Mal and Juliet were patting them, <laughs> patting each other on the back for a frankly pornographic episode of Bachelor Party, and they were like, "Oh, it was so racy." And I was like, "I've been watching some pretty racy stuff too," and they were like, yeah. "Oh yeah." And I was like, "You know, episode eight of Too Old to Die Young really." really squeezed my lemon out pretty like I'm pretty dry and they're like oh really like what happened yeah and I was like well I don't want to tell you it's not good for dinner conversation but then you did and then I did and it was actually like <laughs> I think I actually scandalized you guys for the first time in my life I was shocked yeah but also moved <laughs> yeah I went into great detail you did. um but really only three people have watched that show so I'm not going to waste your time with that let's talk about Stranger Things <laughs> So I'm really excited for this show. This is a show that's been around, started when The Ringer started. My wife and I really enjoy watching this together. We are both um, 70s babies who grew up through the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why I like this so much, and I'm, I want to hear about why you like it so much, is I remember the 80s. Like, I do remember obsessions, and I remember stretches of time, and I remember experiences, but I don't necessarily remember it as, like, a story of my life. You know, the 90s mm-hmm. are way more, I remember, like, each school year, I remember who I was friends with. I remember who I was dating. I remember who I wanted to be dating, all that stuff. Uh, right. I remember when I wasn't dating anyone and I wanted to date somebody. Um, but the 80s are way more of like this impressionistic memory mm-hmm. where I, I don't really have like a narrative to it. But I can recall specific experiences and I love all of the movies that were coming around when out when I was like eight or nine or 10. Even if I didn't see them when they first came out, even if they just became part of my life, they actually function as the the objects in the time capsule for me in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Because I remember Back to the Future and Goonies and The Explorers and E.T. and those kind of movies that were memorializing being a kid back then right. in a way that I almost can't quite recall what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, there's a little bit of projection where you're like, Maybe my life wasn't as cool as like being in the Goonies, but it's nice to like kind of imagine it was. And I certainly recognize a lot of stuff that was happening there. Mm-hmm. 
this show gets knocked for its popular, its reliance on pop culture references. But I think that that's where the Duffer Brothers are really coming from, in that they're almost piecing together an 80s out of their pop culture memories. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. That's an incredible way of framing it. I was born in 1986, mm-hmm. so I have a slightly so different— So you're Stranger Things season four. <laughs> That's right. The, the birth of Mallory Rubin <laughs> is actually— Set at Overlook Hospital. Yeah. The relationship that I have to it is, is, is slightly different because my relationship to that moment in time yeah. is, is slightly different, but I also love it. I also am, am very excited for season three. I mean, I, I, I cherish season one, as I think many people do. I think I'm higher on season two than a lot of people. Yeah. Um, we can, you know, we can get into why or not, but I, I think of uh, some of the, the, the plot executions and certainly the bottle episode and the attempt to tap into the larger mythology or, or um, you know, flawed in, in certain respects, but something like the, the snowball sequence at the end in the finale, I just love and could watch 500 times and probably cry every time. Sure. And I think that taps into what I love about it and what as anchored in a moment in time as the show is feels timeless to me about it. And that's part of the appeal is that whether you were born in the 70s and were a child of the 80s or not, mm-hmm. you know what friendship looks like. Sure. Yeah. You know, you know what it feels like to... Find another person who is interested in the same thing or isn't, but still finds a way to share that passion with you. Yeah. And to me, in so many ways, it's just a it's a it's a really lovely exploration of the nature of connection at any age in your life. I love the way that the show makes us as invested in the kids as in the adults and in the monsters. You know, I'm still mourning Dart. Yeah. Dear sweet Dart <laughs> down there with his three musketeers yeah. rapper. Yeah. And in terms of the, the the 80s nostalgia that you're referencing, one of the other things that's really cool about it is as present as that is and as rooted in the 80s nostalgia as the story is, I also watch this. This is something that Jason and I have talked about a lot. I see so much like Harry Potter sure. DNA, yeah, yeah. you know, especially in season two with Will and the uh, the vines and the network and the hive mind. Like to me, that's a very, very, very uh, Harry Potter spoiler alerts, I guess. <laughs> Harry is a horcrux and the Harry Voldemort mental portal. Sure. And this idea of being able to simultaneously access information from the enemy, but at the cost of maybe becoming the tool yourself, the weapon yourself. Yeah. I mean, they, um, th- those guys are dummies. They've picked up on the, our hero should be vulnerable to the very thing that he is setting out to destroy Luke Darth kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's going to take place largely at a, Sam Goody in a mall food court <laughs> this season, which is dope. Yeah. But it's also like pop culture from the 2000s is also very present in the story. And I like that, that it feels very specific to a certain era, but also like it is influenced by all the things that happened since. You know, the people who grew up in that moment are then the people who went on to consume the culture that came later. And that is present and influential clearly, too. Absolutely. And I think that uh, you mentioned something about, you know, like— the greater mythology and some of the mm-hmm. uh, speed bumps the second season hit when trying to grapple with Eight. the world outside <laughs> of Hawkins and right. what the uh, what the mind flare is and what upside down is and all that stuff. And we, we're going to get into that. We have a couple of things that we're excited about with some things that we're looking forward to in season three and that that will be included. But ultimately, I think you could make this show a hundred times mm-hmm. and 99 of them would be fine. Or like maybe below average. But this specific lottery that they hit with this cast, it kind of reminds me of Friday Night Lights. Mm -hmm. Where a lot of Friday Night Lights' success had to do with the way they shot it, the music they chose, the how they were able to basically Trojan horse this incredibly intimate and finely drawn family drama into a like sort of a sports movie. Uh, set up. Right. But ultimately, like, that was the cast. It was just like they got, like, the right people at the right time in their lives to all be together. And the same thing is going on for Stranger Things. It's just like those kids feel really authentic, not necessarily to the 80s per se, but just as, like, they just seem like real people and they don't seem like they were, like, made off of, I, I don't know. There's something about them that's just like, oh, I feel like I'm watching a group of friends. Absolutely. It's such a sincere and genuine chemistry between them. And when you think back to your childhood. Yeah. Like, okay, let's actually pan back one step further. Do you keep in touch with people from your childhood? Yeah, somewhat. Okay. Yeah. So, not like extensively, but yeah, sure. Friendships are different. Uh huh. 
person to person, <laughs> place to place, but there's something eternal about them. Whether or not you keep in touch with them. Yeah. Because the eternal thing is either that it's an active present part of your life right now or that the memory of it, if it was this real defining thing in your life, is so palpable that it just feels like part of the foundational DNA of who you are as a human. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of the pillars of your life. And to look back on your own childhood friendships and those moments in your life, whether it's your own trips to the mall or your own summer camp. Ex- I can't wait to hear how camp went for Dustin. You know, I just can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> but you went to camp, right? I d- oh, I went to camp, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like go to camp, go to camp and the went to Prague, went to Prague <laughs> way? What? <laughs> no. no, 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 certainly not. Maybe. Um, I did go to camp. I, I went to day camp for a long time when I was a very young kid and then graduated to sleepaway camp. Camp Milldale back in the day mm-hmm. in Baltimore and then went to Camp Louise and then went to Camp Pinemere for sleepaway camp. I was day summers. camp for the most part. And then um, just the pressures from the big five were too great and I had to start going to basketball camp. I mean, Craig knows, uh, Craig knows all about it and, you know, <laughs> I tragically leveled out at about 5'5", five, 5'4", five, mm. five, mm-hmm. in, uh, in middle school. So mm-hmm. coaches got scared. They got scared of the project. But mm-hmm. it's a shame. You know, what I could have given Temple or Nova yeah. in the in the mid-90s, when we'll you had, when you When you gain those extra <laughs> two and a half inches. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, I, I remember. Yeah. So the, the, the thing you're saying, though, is the relationships you make with people at the age that the kids and Stranger Things are, just they do feel different. Yeah, uh, like yeah. Uh, in many ways, the most foundational years of your life are going to be high school or college or, or even adulthood when you meet the people who you're actually going to spend the rest of your life with in some capacity, personal. In our case, you know, professional sure. and personal, I'd like to think. But the friendships that you had when you were a kid, that is really when you were discovering who you are. Yeah, it's marked with adventure. Even if the adventure is just like we went to the weird part of the park that day mm-hmm. or like we rode our bikes where we weren't supposed to or that was the first time I— I don't know, like did this or did that. Like, yeah. what, like take your pick of what it is. I, you know, every so many things of that age are just like, I still remember the first time it felt when I jumped off a high dive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Totally. And I know exactly where I was and I know how nervous I was climbing up the ladder. I remember who was watching me. Mm-hmm. I remember like which of my friends were dicks about it. <laughs> I remember which of my friends were like, it's cool. Like it's scary up there. Like just, just suck it up and do it. It's like, it's weird that I can remember that. I can't remember what I talked about at dinner last week. Totally. I feel the same way about it. And also, like, part of life now in the modern era is so much of the connection that you have with other people or that you you fail to, to forge with other people. It's digital in nature. And part of the digital age is that it brings people together. But part of it is that it's it's— it's a real divide in yeah. our lives in many ways because it just changes the way that you interact with your fellow man. And so to think back to that period in time in your life when you would just run in the backyard to your neighbor's house and your neighbor was also the only person in the world you wanted to spend time with, that's not really a thing that happens anymore. Yeah. And so that's a kind of precious thing. And, you know, when I think back to like elementary school, middle school, some of those friends, I can't even remember some of their names, but you remember the feeling. And then there are people that, of course, you remember very vividly. And, you know, one of the things I love about the show is the way they talk about uh, the party, mm-hmm. right? It's the party. And obviously, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons DNA that's very present in not only their friend group, but in the way that they explore and seek out adventure and in the corollaries that they craft between what is happening to their town and the the game that they play that allows them to make, you know, the Mind Flayer comp, for example. And obviously the Demogorgon. Yeah. Shouts to the Demodogs out there, et cetera. <laughs> Is there like a, 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 a big fan group for Demogorgons? I, I I think there must be. Oh, Demodogs, like the ones that got uh, Sean Aston last year. The Demodogs, man. Yeah, yeah, right. I thought you meant <laughs> like, I thought Demodogs were like the, the Demogorgon online fam community. And that might also be true. That might also like be true. Like kitty cats. <laughs> You know, no. <laughs> okay. Are you are you are you uh, edging back into kitty cat and back into euphoria here? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very different kind of conversation. Yeah, that's about a different kind of the nature community. of youth and self discovery. Um, you mentioned uh, we talked about exploration. We talked about you know like going out into the world. It looks like a mall. Like the mall is like the central setting mm-hmm. for this season. I couldn't be happier. Starcourt, Starcourt Mall. Malls are still bizarrely comforting to me. Like, as, like, I think I grew up with them 
in like the 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 eighties boom of them was like pretty significant when I was growing up for me and Greenwald. Like we both have like these wild memories of of King of Prussia Mall and Cherry Hill Mall and Morristown Mall and all these malls. Um, like when Franklin Mills opened outside uh-huh. of Philly, it was the biggest mall in America, I think, until the Mall of America. If I, I have to check my facts, but I was even like <laughs> that was almost too much. Right. That was like I don't want to walk for five miles. I just want this like evenly lit, somewhat airy looking, but really like enclosed, climate controlled experience where I can go to Great American <laughs> Cookie Company climate and I can go and and it went on until like I was like even older when I was in high school and stuff. They opened a mall in a skyscraper in downtown Philadelphia called Liberty Place, mm-hmm. and like around ninth or tenth grade. <laughs> I think around ninth or tenth grade, and you know we would go out after school. We went to school in downtown Philly, mm-hmm. and we would go up to Liberty Place and hang out at like what we would know now as like a lids, like a uh-huh. hat, yeah, a yeah, hat yeah. store, yeah. just like chill. And the guys there don't think they had real long term ambitions for themselves, so they would just hang out. And they would drink 40s out of Chick-fil-A cups. <laughs> oh, my God. And we thought that was the Incredible. coolest thing we had ever seen. Sure. And we would just sit there all day long <laughs> and talk about college basketball and talk about, I don't know what else, movies, music, mostly music, too. We would talk a lot about rap. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, seriously the coolest thing I'd ever done up until that point in my life. <laughs> I could not believe how cool it was. And then we would just go to Chick-fil-A or go to, like, you know— the New York deli that was in the Philadelphia food court. <laughs> right. Did you have a mall that you loved? I did. Where was it? Uh, Owings Mills Mall. Owings Mills. Okay. So that's suburban Baltimore? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there were a few malls in the Baltimore circuit. The best mall that was even possible to get to in terms of like asking your parents for a sure. lift yeah. was Towson. Crucial Towson, part Towson, about mall oh, yeah, going. of course. Is that you, you were on the hook to get a ride. Yeah, and get a ride home. And then be like, okay, yes, I <laughs> promise at 2.30 I'll be outside of Macy's. Yeah, of course. So Towson Town Center was the better mall, but it was also about a 25-minute drive, mm-hmm. which was pushing it, really pushing it. And save up the Towson minute. Don't even yeah. ask about Columbia. <laughs> Why? Where was that? We're talking 30, 40 minutes. Oh, my God. So you could only really go to Columbia when your that parents That was if you were going with your parents, yeah, right. yeah. Like a day at the mall with, you know, mom on a Saturday. Owings Mills, you know, 12 minutes from home, something like that. Movie theater right there on the same complex as the mall. Great food court. Then the restaurants pop up where, like, the Hex used to be and then close. Remember Hex? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Love the pretzel time. Pretzel time. The Vicaros Bakery. Well, is pretzel time basically like Wetzel's before Wetzel's or— it was just we didn't have a Wetzel's or an Auntie Anne's in the Owings Mills Mall. We had pretzel time. So if I, I remember correctly, which I might not. No, I mean, but like, I think that was, that's what we I, had. The, the, people don't really pay enough attention to the often heartbreaking <laughs> tides of change that affected different food court <laughs> it's establishments. True. The I, I never really got down with Mrs. Fields cookies because, How as far as I was you. concerned, we had great, a Mrs. Fields. Mrs. Fields great. replaced Great American Cookie Company, oh. and Great American Cookie Company may have been the great love of my life. Big cookie came in and booted out your great love. I know. But you were probably at the mall that Friday night with one of the girls that you said you wished you were dating. And so you had another kind of love to focus on instead. That's (laughs) part of the beauty. It didn't quite go like that. No? Yeah. That was the other thing about malls. Real symbol. I mean, a practical reality, but also a symbol of freedom. Oh, yeah. When you're a kid. Because we had the gallery, too, which was a downtown mall. Okay. And you could walk to the gallery from our school, but the gallery was like three or four city blocks long, it felt like. Mm-hmm. And that was like, the that was a huge hangout. Yeah. Like, the idea of like, what are you doing? I'm going. Because now, like, all of, like, almost all of my shopping is either conducted online or right. like in like a boutique somewhere. But like, the idea of not only shopping, but being like, this is where like a legitimate huge chunk of my social life takes place. Oh, Yeah. It's so strange to think about now. Like, Friday what would you do if I mall. was like, what, would you, what are you doing after work today? Do you want to go to the mall? <laughs> no, I don't have like a reason. I'm not going to the Nike store. Yeah. I don't have to pick up something at Barnes & Noble. I just want to hang out. I know people do do that at Westfield and, and the Grove here, but mm-hmm. like, I, I just, I don't think that that's how I would cash in my social capital with you. I don't know, man. Let's try it and see how it goes. 
Maybe it'll feel great. But Maybe we'll do, reconnect. I want to go to like an old mall. I want to okay. go to a mall that's more like Starcourt, which is where Stranger Things seems to Let's be. Let's so. do it. Anyway, reconnect not only with our youth, but with our humanity. Perfect choice by them to do this, to to like set this there, yes. to have these kids working there. It looks like. I do think the mall will probably be destroyed by the end of the season. Seems like there's a monster in the mall. A new monster. It sounds like that's a question that we have about season three. Do you want to talk at all about season two at all? Do you have any other season two like like notes that you want to give before we get into what we're excited about for season th- season three? I think that we can connect a lot of the things about season two to season three. Like I, I am deeply curious about whether they will attempt to return to the larger mythology. You yeah. know, we got the bottle episode. Obviously, the season opens with eight uh and the you know the chase the escape sure. through the, the tunnel and this uh, the the glimpse of the tattoo what the fuck is that it's a this is, that is a literally bee? a mind flare. is it a bee what is it are you scared of bees dart <laughs> is that you <laughs> so I'm curious to see yeah it, it seemed like that was like pretty close to unanimously the least favorite thing about season two for most people yeah. So does that mean they won't go back to it? I have a whole bit about this. Let's go. So let's let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Then we're going to come back. We're going to get rid of this. Honestly, like a, there is a dr- small dragon in the <laughs> studio. We're going to get rid of the bug. We're going to come Drogon? back after a word from our sponsors. Is that you? <laughs> and we're going to talk about what we're excited about for season three of Stranger Things. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Miller Lite. Did you know that Miller Lite was the beer that launched the light beer category? Miller Lite is the original light beer, and from the start, it has never compromised on taste. That's because it's always brewed to have more taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. Miller Lite, hold true. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the Showtime Limited series, The Loudest Voice, starring Russell Crowe as Roger Ailes, the pivotal architect of Fox News. The Loudest Voice reveals the inside story of the success and secrets of the man who built Fox News from the ground up, gaining unrivaled power and influence that reached all the way to the White House. Ailes was a media mastermind who left behind a powerful legacy, yet resigned in disgrace after accusations surfaced of years of sexual harassment and abuse. It was his need to control everyone from his family family and friends to his sexual conquests that proved to be his downfall. Featuring an acclaimed cast featuring Sienna Miller, Seth MacFarlane, Annabelle Wallace, Simon McBurney, and Naomi Watts, The Last Voice is now streaming only on Showtime. Go to Showtime.com and start your free trial now. All right, I'm back. We're back. Mallory and I, we're talking about Strange Things Season 3. Yeah. Um... Mal, I'm just going to throw a couple of things that we're really excited about. Okay. Right at you. Okay, so first is, what is the state of the gang? Great question. Obviously, people love pairing these uh, kids off. They're growing older. They we are. have a little bit of a time jump for season three, so it's summer of 1985. 85. Yeah, 85. Yes. Um, so we have, we, I think Jonathan's camera when he's recording... Will getting ready to go to the snowball says December fifteenth. Yes, and we're at July fourth. Yes, I think it's I think it's July fourth. It'll probably take place over the course of that summer, and then so last season was Halloween eighty four through I think Christmas. Yeah. yeah, so about half a year, a little more than half a year. Yeah, and then they jump up uh, an into eternity the summer. for a young person. Yeah, and I guess the whole thing, the first two seasons, and I think oh, so much of the second season's detriment is just they just really jam my guy Will up. Yeah, it's tough. They gave him the same same haircut. Never, never really like evolves that much. I understand he's been traumatized <laughs> by a monster from another dimension mm-hmm. and has been given unwanted psychic connections to a, a hellscape. Mm-hmm. I get it. But I think that you could go to Supercuts and I think you could get like the Val Kilmer Top Gun look. Maybe it's not out yet. So maybe he doesn't know to get the Iceman. Listen. See, un- Stranger Things season four, <laughs> Will Byers gets the Iceman haircut and Mallory Rubin is born. He says no. <laughs> I say yes. Count me in. I will just, I will note, it's a fair point, but unlike Dustin, who benefited from an incredible new friendship with Steve. Unbelievable And stuff. thus, the Farrah Fawcett spray advice. The Lillard and McCollum of Stranger <laughs> Things. If you said, what are the five things you're looking forward to about season season it's three? All, all of mine would be Steve. Yeah. <laughs> or Hopper. Um you know, who is who is there nurturing Will? It's Joyce. It's his mom, mm-hmm. right? And then it's Jonathan. And no shade of Joyce and Jonathan, who I adore. It's not like they're like 
trendsetters in the hair department. No, and also— Though Jonathan does appear to have also, a new do in season like, three. not the greatest hangs. Well. You know what I mean? Like, like there are no Mrs. Wheeler, is all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, and I, I just yeah. think— I think that— Just that, ask Billy. That Joyce chain-smoking— you know, and Jonathan being like, I'm listening to The Clash yeah. and pining after Nancy. Well, he's not pining well, anymore. Now, yeah, mission accomplished. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like, I would love to see Will have a little fun this season. I know the Duffers have said, we're going to try and, and get this kid out in the daylight a little bit and have him not completely terrorized by visions of a 50-story spider in the sky. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love, to, I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. I'm with you. I think that one of the one of the slight letdowns about season two is that that aspect of it felt very samey. Mm-hmm. You know, Will, and we get the, these moments at the beginning of the season where he's with the friends, he's with them at the arcade, he's with them at school, but then he's literally alone in a parking lot or alone in a field because this great life-altering and world, perhaps world and universe-altering force has, you know, pulled him away from his friends, a.k.a. his humanity. I just want to see him get to hang out and be one of the one of the party members, yeah. you know? Like, it's kind of amazing to think that we're two full seasons in and we've never really meaningfully for any stretch of time seen Will and Eleven interact. No, you know, and, and I'm really looking forward to that. Do you think it's that. like a, a, a Cersei Braun kind of situation? <laughs> <laughs> they have too much history. The actors refuse to share the screen. That would be pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, Instagram follower war or something like that. You never Bonner, know. You, don't, you never know. You never know. I I am excited to see the state of the party as well. And I'm really, I'm really, one of my favorite moments from, uh, you know, all the trailers have been great. One of my favorite moments is the bit at the end of one of them where uh, Steve's colleague at the, I think, ice cream shop, the mm-hmm. scoop shop, Ahoy, uh, is just like, how many children are you friends with? <laughs> I can't wait to see Steve interact. You know, I loved the moment in season two when he said to Nancy that he realized he had been a pretty bad boyfriend, but was like a hell of a babysitter. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I loved seeing him interact with the kids. I thought that was such a delight. So I can't wait to see that. I'm excited for- They're pretty good at reacting. So, I mean, Steve is obviously supposed to be the like Andrew McCarthy asshole kid in the first season who is keeping Nancy from her true- partner Jonathan and like it's just he's just like in the way and he's just like such a snob and then people obviously really like Joe Curie and they wanted as much screen time for him as possible but they couldn't get in the way of the Jonathan Nancy thing that they had gotten rolling so they just made a nice adjustment which was like let's just make him friends with an 11 year old And have him hang. 13 year old, to be fair. They were in eighth grade. But just like, that just straight up would not ever happen in the history of America, where like a really cool, rich 16 or 17 year old would be like, it's really, it's time for me to be friends with this this child. And it's really funny to contrast it with the consistent. Or if it did, (laughs) it would be a. A problem. A bad a right. bad thing. Yes. yes. The Every interaction between... Like he would just be like, let's get wasted. <laughs> well, Smoke pot and listen to the replacements every night. That's that's certainly what Billy would be doing. Yes. You know, and, and every time Billy interacts with Steve and he's like, oh, I keep hearing about King Steve, how you used to run this place. And now you're just hanging out with these 13 year olds. Where, where did you hear that? I don't know, man, out there on the hard, on the hard top. The, some, the some, basketball court, some you know? Some early Hawkins zines <laughs> documenting Steve's... <laughs> Pre cool behavior. I love Steve. I can't wait for more Steve. I have a question for you. So you think Billy is just an invention to like make up for what Steve was supposed to be? Um. Well, it looks like. I mean, it sounds like he's he's important this season. Yeah, it looks yeah. like from the trailers that he is the new host, right? I mean, it's. I don't think it's a spoiler because it's it's very present yeah. in the trailers, and we we don't have any information beyond the trailers at this point. So. I I guess he's going to be the new host Supposedly. for yeah. the, looks like it. For for him for this this force this essence that they cooked out of will yeah <laughs> and we saw you know shoot into the sky yeah. and that was it and then obviously eleven closed the gate and we saw all of the demodogs including poor sweet dart fall mm-hmm. but that essence and then obviously you know the the looming the mind flare specter of yeah. the mind flare yeah. so I guess. I guess Billy will be the host and then the virus will take root again. We also see in the trailer, you know, these new forces. We see a lot of shots of like helicopters coming in, these military figures. So, and then we hear a lot of voiceover and we don't, you know, we don't know Mm -hmm. the source of it or the extent of it. But um, it seems that this is the invasion is leveling up in some capacity that this is going to have some real human presence. Yeah. So it depends. That is the face of it. I know some people who are like, 
I I like this show a lot, but I like it for the kids. I don't really pay attention to like whatever sci-fi fantasy uh-huh. elements are part of it. Um, and then I enjoy both sides of it, but do think that the popularity of the show almost like took them by surprise in terms of like, okay, so now we have to like actually set up a four season kind of mm-hmm. foundation of what they're fighting against here. And like what the, I don't think it has maybe the um, detail that you usually would get from, I mean, even like in Harry Potter, where it's just like they know exactly where the story is going 10 years in advance. That being said, I'm, I'm totally down with the story. It's pretty, it's pretty entertaining. Let's talk a little bit about like the mythology and like give a little bit of an update. So the Duffers have talked about how Back to the Future plays a big, big role in this season. That mm-hmm. obviously that's a movie that comes out in July of 1985. I want to talk a little bit more about like some of the pop culture stuff that could be drawn from or in my mind should be drawn from. from. Mm-hmm. But the show itself and the plot of Stranger Things, it heavily references this thing called the Montauk Project. It's mentioned a few times, I think, in the show itself. The Montauk Project is a conspiracy theory hoax hobby horse of conspiracy theorists throughout the years. Um, it was alleged to have been a basically a facility in Long Island in the 50s where the military was um, conducting experiments on people, homeless people, children, to develop new weapons, mm-hmm. you know, for the Cold War and specifically psychic telekinetic weaponry among like and people. So they basically were like the 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 story goes that there was this facility. They went to Congress to get it funded. Congress was like, hell no. They went to the DOD to get it funded. The DOD funded it with stolen Nazi gold. It's pretty pretty good stuff. And that they developed like these psychic weapons and in the process of doing it, it's this is all comes from a guy um, a guy named Pres- Preston Nichols who passed away a few years ago, but claimed to have, you know, recovered repressed memories of being a part of this and wrote a book that is classified as science fiction, but I think he meant to be like mm-hmm. my story, my right. column. <laughs> <laughs> I was a psychic weapon, my column. And, uh, you know, according to the legend, you know, uh, in this facility in a small town out, out in the farthest reaches of Long Island, they were conducting all these experiments. They were screwing around. And they opened up a portal to another dimension. Mm-hmm. A monster came through that t- portal and terrorized the facility. They started experimenting with time travel through this portal. There's a connection between what they were doing and the Philadelphia experiment, which is a hoax from the 40s in which like, the military allegedly cloaked a, a, a battleship, like mm-hmm. a big na- naval ship, the Eldridge. All this is to say, long story short, do you think time travel is going to be a part of this? Because I guess I just have time travel on the brain because of Endgame. Mm-hmm. And all all of the pop culture that's been bringing up resets and alternate realities, and obviously we've been talking a lot about dark on this show. Do you think that the way? Do you think that that's where they're going with this, or do you think it's just straight up? Yeah, there's a fantastical, there's a new dimension opened up in this small town in Indiana because the government's been experimenting on people. I don't know. Well, I wouldn't expect you to. <laughs> it was a tough question to ask. I just needed a way to end my rant about the uh, Montauk Project. It's a great question. You know, one of the moments in season two, quiet moment that I really appreciated, was the sequence when Lucas sets up the whole, I'm going to put the out of order sign and get the Cheeto eating dude to help me get Max into oh, the yeah. back room so yeah, I can yeah. reveal everything about our party in about 11. And what does Max say to him initially? She says, you know, it was, it was pretty good. I really liked it. a lot of a lot about it. Really compelling, you know, rich. Uh, pretty derivative. <laughs> and I loved, loved the showrunners winking with that meta commentary about that criticism of Stranger Things that all these people would say, okay, well, when does something cross the line from being referential and influenced by to being just wholly derivative of the references. And I think that the the fact that the show has embraced that is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And there are very few original ideas. And we're all influenced by the things that mattered to us. And in many ways, it is a show about the things that matter to us and how that shapes your life. And so that's a long-coded, non-answer way of saying that I think if they're partial to stories about time travel, we'll probably see it at some point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it it can't be an accident Look, there's only so much like a group of kids can do right. physically against a group of extraterrestrial or alternate dimension monsters. So they would have to somehow reset the clock or at least close that up completely to get out from under this. So that is where 
one of the moments from the bottle episode. From the other sister, right? Feels very or the lost key. sister, yeah. So where Callie, a.k.a. 8, is coaching Eleven through her powers and how to use them and how to channel them. There's There are a couple moments in that episode where it happens. We get it when she's moving the train, but then back at their, their lair up in the loft. And who comes to Eleven in this vision? Brenner. Mm-hmm. And when they were out pursuing one of their targets and Eleven ultimately called off the hit because she realized that his, his this guy's children were there. He sees the, the picture frame and then they realize that they're in the other room. He also mentions that Brenner is alive. Now, Eleven has thought that Brenner is dead. And so if Brenner re-enters the story, which it seems clear that he must, mm-hmm. then that's another way that we have to access the magic, the power, sure. the mythology beyond just the kids because it is somebody in active pursuit of access to something that is beyond human, that is beyond what you as a person in the world should have access sure. to. Yeah. And is that about, is it, is it about us learning more about what the original intent of the project was, what the research was, what he's always been trying to do, what he maybe already has done and we just don't know? Or is it going to be about what the next pursuit is, either to regain power or to further the ambition that is already underway? I don't know. I'm excited to find out. And that that is the area where I am actually really interested in the larger mm-hmm. mythology. And I'm... I, I I don't know. I didn't really articulate this earlier. While I did not think that that episode was the strong point of the, the season, sister, yeah, yeah, in any respect, I do think it's important to try to establish the larger mythology. Do you I ever- remember me and Andy being really cynical about it when it happened and being like, this is an obvious gambit for a spinoff. But now right. I feel, I, I regret that take because I just feel like, I think it was just like you're saying. It, it was an it was an experiment within the show. It was a chance for them to sort of like be like, yes, obviously, if she's eleven, there are other numbers, right? Yeah, yeah. and then so who are the other numbers still? We don't know, and I'd like to find out. I think the the key and the balance is that I don't want to find out at the expense of, say, time, time learning who Will is, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> or like. You know, I'm interested. I'd love to know your take on which relationship you're more invested in, Will and Mike or Mike and Eleven, because I kind of think that they— Mike and Eleven. Mike and Eleven. But that's only because Will has just been like, I'm getting nuked by these (laughs) demigorgons. Like, you guys come come save me. Yeah, so Mike and Eleven, it's obviously— it's, you know, we we get the Steve to Dustin and then Dustin to Lucas explanation of this. this, uh, What did you feel? The electricity. And you— I feel like a little weird saying this because they're children, but you really do. We also watch you for you. Like, like when yeah. Eleven walks into the snowball, the way Mike looks at her is like kind of unbelievable. Yeah, it's really cute. And so I want that, but also when they are trying to not when they're cooking the mind flyer out of Will, but before that, when he's in the shed in the backyard and they are like. Uh, uh, amending his senses, blinding him with the light, trying to make sure he doesn't know where they are so that they can attempt to return him to his humanity without the mind flare learning where they are. And there's that one moment, you know, they're all going through, uh, his mom is talking to him, Jonathan is talking to him, and then Will comes in and says, it's basically this universal feeling. Like, it's their origin story of how they met. And everybody's had that moment where it's like, I just felt really alone, and then I found you, and you made me feel less alone. Yeah, And we... I, I found that really touching, and we actually haven't gotten to experience a ton of that with them. You know, Will is obviously the one that—Mike the, is the one, rather, that Will confides in when he's having these episodes, and we can sense that they are close in a way that the other members of the party are yeah. not. You know, Dustin even says that to Mike earlier in the show. as Ron, well, he's your best friend, and Mike's like, you're all my best friends. Come on, you can only have one best friend, right? <laughs> But we haven't really gotten to spend a ton of time with that, so I'm, I'm excited to. And I yeah, don't, and the balance between yes. those two sides of the show will be really— I think that I would have to imagine the the percentage of people who are like, I'm here for the hangs, not for the demigorgons, mm-hmm. is probably like 95 to 5, right? I don't know. I'm not sure if that's true because I think that— there's some, Look, there are some shows where it's like when you go and you dive deep on Game of Thrones stuff mm-hmm. or you dive deep on dark stuff or you dive deep— on any number of shows with like this under this sort of scaffolding of real like here's all the like extended universe stuff here's all the mythology here's what the books say about this Star Wars whatever a lot of the stuff you guys talk about on binge mode mm-hmm. you're like oh my god dude young griff <laughs> i can't believe they left this kid out man like this is amazing shit yeah and then when you read deeper on stranger things you're just like okay i got it 
I think that that's true, but I also think that the okay. So just the the Dungeon and Dragons fans, for example. Yes, I'm I, not trying to slight our D and D fans. No, no, no yes. of course not. I, I don't think you are. I just think that there's probably a whole contingent of of a consumer of the show who's like, that's me, and oh, so yeah, I want to sure. luxuriate for in sure. the aspects of the story where I get to explore the idea of the Veil of Shadows beyond just saying, well, this is a device that allows us to focus on the friendships. You know, one of the, I texted you about this when I was rewatching. The midway through season one, when they're, they're cracking the puzzle for the first time and that thrill, that mm-hmm. high of discovery. And it's, it's, Dustin says like the Veil of Shadows. And then when he's reading what the Veil of Shadows is, like I get like a chill down oh, yeah. my spine from that. And that idea, you know, the Veil of Shadows is a dimension that is a dark reflection or echo of our world. It is a place with decay and death, a plane out of phase, a place with monsters. This is the key right here. It is right next to you and you don't even see it. That idea, I think, is is just as interesting to a lot of people as the relationships. Sure. Or at least interesting enough to warrant exploring it more. That there's this world right there that exists in place and time and you just can't see it and can't access it. And then what if you could? Right. Right. I mean, and if you could, what if the Mind Flayer— <laughs> which is sort of the villain of this show that gets introduced as a, as a much more of like a physical menace in the second season and is, it has its this connection to Will. But this is sort of the big bad of the show. And at least within the Dungeons and Dragons sort of world, the Mind Flayer is actually way more of like a less imposing figure than a giant spider that hovers over towns and terrorizes your dreams. It's more of like a... Like a, I guess like a, not a guy, but it's like a monster, a, a guy-sized monster that can control other minds. Right. And it's like this really like psychically power, powerful villain who wants to like destroy humanity. And I'm kind of wondering whether or not that, that spider is actually just a projection of its power and that there is mm-hmm. like another villain coming in some regard. I haven't watched any of the episodes from season three, but I, I do wonder what that is. Briefly, just because we were talking a little bit about... The show and it's how it's rooted in the specific times when it's set, you know, 84, now 85. If you were a kid in the summer of 85, mm-hmm. not for nothing, this is this is this is what's at the movies. <laughs> Goonies. Okay. San almost fire. Maybe a little mature for watching Demi Moore get super high in Coke is a little extra for those <laughs> those kids. But let's just say <laughs> they've seen a lot. I Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. A lot of kids in that. Uh, ex- Mad Max, of course, a, a member of the party. Yeah, the so. Explorers, which is uh, hugely, I think, a huge influence on this show. E.T., mm-hmm. The Legend of Billie Jean. Did you ever see that one? No. Helen Slater and Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. As, you know, t- teenage years. Christian Slater, bleach blonde punk kid living in, I think it's supposed to be like Fort Worth or I can't remember what part of tech. Maybe it's like Odessa even. And like the rich kids in town beat him up and like mess up his scooter. And then I think he like basically goes to get the money for his scooter and brings a gun and like accidentally shoots somebody in the leg. And him and his sister have to go on the lam and they become like a sensation across Texas because she cuts her hair in this like super Pat Benatar punk way and is like (laughs) makes a video where she demands that like all they wanted was to get paid back for this scooter. It's like fair's fair becomes like this huge (laughs) slogan. You should check it out. Maybe that's the haircut Will will get. Maybe. That would be cool. <laughs> Legend of Billy Jean, National Lampoon's European Vacation. He's going to pork her dad. <laughs> uh, Fright Night, Weird Science, Real Genius, and of okay. course, Back to the Future. So really nice summer. That's Incredible great. Incredible music year. It's just like hanging out in the summer of 85. Fucking Boys of Summer by Don Henley drops. How much time? How did you feel about that? <laughs> How much time do you think they're going to be at the pool versus the mall? Well, it looks like we see the pool too with Billy, Billy is doing yeah. work. At the pool. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, and there is an entire episode called the the the, the mystery of the lifeguard or the, something like that. Oh my god! Incredible. So I'm excited for that. Incredible. Uh, we talked about the sort of the upside down, the mind flare, the time travel possibilities, the portal. Uh, we talked about what is out there. Outside of Hawkins, this doesn't really get mentioned very much. We've seen Pittsburgh. Would love a love a Baltimore Chicago. road trip, maybe. Oh yeah, we saw Chicago, to Illinois. That's right. Um, Baltimore road trip. Yeah. <laughs> maybe three is in Baltimore. Um, I'm curious about like what the audience reaction to the Lost Sister means for mm-hmm. their their pursuit of those storylines. 
How much of the show in your mind is about Hawkins and how much is Hawkins a stand-in for any community? And and the 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 contrast that contradiction. I think it's of pretty, something extraordinary happening. Yeah, in a place. I think I mean it's like is it like Derry in Stephen King? Is it like the the suburb in California where ET happens? Is it like Oregon and Goonies? Like there is, uh, I think it shares characteristics with that. Also, they shoot it in Georgia, so it's not like it's mm-hmm. like oh man, that's just such authentic Hoosier scenery right there. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty cool, but mm-hmm. I think it's it's small town America, quote right. unquote. Right. As John Mellencamp would say. Um, <laughs> I guess that's pretty much it. I, we did the mind flare. We got to talk about ships. Let's do it. I, I feel personally incredibly uncomfortable talking about <laughs> ships, so you, you take it away. <laughs> well, we can. We don't only have to talk about the children. How, how, like, <laughs> can, how sexual can Billy and Mrs. Wheeler get? I would like to find out. Is this going to turn into the Bachelor pod now? I don't think I can do that to Craig again. I hope not. I'm fine doing it to you. But Craig, Craig filling in for Kaya today. Just walking on the, on the tightrope today. I have to respect Craig. Um, listen, I, I know you don't like to work blue. And I respect that. However. You're obviously, I, sure, yeah. Uh, journalistic integrity, pursuit of the truth at okay. all costs. Get after it, Maggie Haberman. Mrs. Wheeler wants to fuck Billy. Did you see her? Opens the door from Dude, her bath, reading a romance novel in the Check tub. the tapes. I, check, I Check the tapes. Check. Where did What About Bono, though, start? <laughs> You're looking at it. I've been down with Carla Bono <laughs> since day one. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. If it happens, it happens. I think we need to actually lose some characters. Like, people need to die this season for us to feel the, the real consequential nature of what's unfolding. And I'm ready to say goodbye to Mr. Wheeler. So are you, you envisioning... Bye, Ted. Are you envisioning what? a kind of... Enjoy that last nap on your lazy boy. Billy, Mrs. Before Wheeler, the eternal kind of like nap. a John Danny and then, like, the wall comes down around them or something? Like, God, I, I, I hope not. I don't know if any of us are ready their, for their that. Their sexual congress finally seals the portal. I just... Listen... <laughs> I think that we're going to say goodbye to Ted, or I hope we're going to say goodbye to Ted. And I think that Nancy, Mike, Karen, the whole Wheeler clan. Did I say Nancy and Billy before? Did we, were we Have we been saying Nancy and Billy? No, I've said Mrs. Wheeler. Okay, it's obviously Karen and Billy. Nancy and Billy would be an entirely different yeah. thing that we don't support. <laughs> Mrs. Wheeler and Billy. Wheeler family, going to be mourning. And so we're Karen, really taking this like Karen's we're, we're, we're teasing out. No, I don't care ST, about Billy. S three going to be about morning Ted and <laughs> Billy coming to Mrs. Wheeler in her time of need. Indeed, you think that's a plot? <laughs> no, I do not. Do you want it to be a plot? No, I haven't. I am because you just sketched it out like it is something that you spent some time. I did. About. I found the doorstep exchange to be delightful. Uh-huh. I really did. So I would support. I would support it, and I think that Mrs. Wheeler has a lot of stress in her life and that Ted is not the right person for her. As we heard Nancy explain to Jonathan, you know, they're not in love. And I just want, I want Mrs. Wheeler to be happy. So I support that. Don't think Billy's a very good guy, but I support, I support Karen getting hers. I am actually very invested in another ship, though. Sincerely. Okay. Jopper time. (laughs) Joyce and Hopper. All about it. I actually thought that they were together. I forgot. I honestly forgot about the Sean Astin thing in season two until I like <laughs> I dug back in. I just but so yeah, it's gonna happen. It's uh, gotta happen. It has to. The do you want to do your David Harbor thing? Just that I. I mean, I love him. I just love him. Like, I just. <laughs> what would you? What would you? If you had to choose between David Harbor and Stranger Things and Nikolai Coster Waldau at the end of Game of Thrones and in Winterfell. Like, looking like a salt and pepper beard snack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who gets your vote? Give me one in the right side up and one in the upside down, baby. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know if I can't top that. <laughs> Any other ships that you want to discuss? Um, I hope that Dustin finds love. We got to get Steve some, like, age-probe friends. Ship that. That's I don't know. Thing. I think Steve is living a great life. He's employed. He's employed. You He's know, probably he, got family money. Well, we know, you know, when he when Nancy was helping him with the the botched college essay, oh, he was yeah. like, why don't I just go work for my dad? You know, I can have benefits, insurance. <laughs> That's right. Reagan's America. That's <laughs> all you need. And obviously he appears to be, you know, working uh, working at Ahoy in the little sailor's outfit, which looks great. And 
I want I want Steve to be happy. I'm very invested in Steve's future. I'm also, you know, I'm into Nancy and Jonathan. Now, obviously, those two are dating in real life. I'm into Nancy and Jonathan. However, I wonder, I wonder if we're going to get a return to, to Nancy and Steve at some point. Wouldn't say no. Yeah. Wouldn't stand in its way. I'd be in favor of that. I think it would be, I, I, I think that they're probably, I consider season two to be season 1A in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I consider season three to be the Empire Strikes Back. So there's got to be some heartbreak. Got to have some, got to have some tough stuff happen. Like Dustin realizing that Nancy is not his girlfriend just because they dance together at the snowball. Exactly. Exactly. That a pity dance is not love. That was beautiful, on, though. Yeah. And I think I think maybe Jonathan needs to needs to step back. Let Steve Steve slide back in there. What about Mike and Eleven? What do you think we're gonna see? Uh whatever it is, it's just gonna be solid PG rated love. <laughs> what, about, what about Lucas and Max? I don't know. Maybe they go on the run. I don't know. Those two seem like they could just be like, we gotta get the fuck out of Hawkins. Both of those couples kissing on the dance floor at the snowball. That that snowball scene, I really love. That made me nostalgic. Record hops. Did you have record hops when you were a kid? No, we said school dances. No. Yeah. I loved a record hop. <laughs> we didn't really have theme stars, though, if I remember correctly. I can't remember what my prom theme was, but we didn't really have themes to any other school dances. They weren't like seasonal. It was like twice a year we would have a, an eighth grade dance, sixth grade can't dance. You love to dance. I don't mind. The music moves you. Yeah, sure. I think it's pretty fun. <laughs> Let's just wrap up there. I think that that's where we got it. I like, I invite me to your weddings. I'll dance. It's, it's fun. Wow. Uh, Mal, we'll be talking to you. I think we're going to do this next Monday after, yeah. uh, after we get back from the July 4th break. We're off on Thursday. So Mal and I will be back. I think we're going to talk about this on The Watch, but we're definitely making a video reaction to this with Jason Concepcion. So the Talk of the Thrones crew is, is re- reconvening to talk about 1985 over egos i hope uh, let, i i will make it make sure that there are egos bring the egos um bring some, them. some appropriate uh breakfast foods will be there now thank you so much for joining me thanks chris Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by the Showtime Limited Event Series, The Loudest Voice, starring Russell Crowe as Roger Ailes, the mastermind of Fox News from the producers of Whiplash, Get Out, and Black Klansman, comes the inside story of a media powerhouse who was brought down by allegations of years of sexual harassment and abuse. The Loudest Voice is now streaming only on Showtime. Go to Showtime.com and start your free trial now.